Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Thanks for joining everyone. Uh, Today we have an awesome guest on Product Coffee, Dan Olson. Uh, You've probably heard of Dan, uh, but if you haven't, uh, he's an entrepreneur, product expert. Uh, He worked at Intuit for a while and then has um, helped companies like uh, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, Box, and others to improve their craft of product management. And he's written a book, uh, the, the Lean Product Playbook. Um, he has a lot of other great materials as well. So we're excited to talk to him today. Kind of the general um, conversation we wanted to have is about um, what's the state of product management and how can you effectively evolve and improve the product function within an organization? And so Dan has a lot of expertise with this. So maybe we can start with that first question. Dan, you could tell us a little bit about what we're seeing today in regards of the state of product management. Yeah, Zach and Kevin, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you for the podcast. Um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's ever been a more exciting time to be in product management. You know, I've been in the field for a while. I won't say how long, but back in the old days, we'd have debates about the, the debates were should PM report into engineering or marketing. And luckily, we've gone a, come a far away since then. And, you know, it's like one of the hottest jobs. More and more companies are hiring for this. And, you know, the way I like to tie it together is Mark Andreessen, you know, years ago famously said software is eating the world. I think companies in the last several years have realized, well, if you want to have good software, you need product management, right? And so, um, you know, you're seeing companies across the board at various sizes and stages realizing the importance of product management. Um, And so it's really great. It's exciting to see that evolution. So there's never been more demand for product management. And, you know, there's always a shortage of supply of very talented people. We have lots of people who want to be in PM, a lot of people getting into PM. Um, and obviously, people listening to your podcast are probably at different levels of their career. But it's a really exciting time to, uh, to see as we enter 2022 here, um, to see the world of technology and product management. I, I, we totally agree. And we, we've, even though within our short time being product managers, we've learned so much. Uh, this podcast has been going on for three years now and um, just seeing the growth within the industry has just been incredible. But uh, um, you know, thank you again so much for joining us today. Um, Want to understand how, when you come in to a company, when you're hired to help with a company with product transformation, what questions do you ask? How do you assess the current state? I think Zach and I are, are both in similar situations to this, but not in a um, uh, contract uh, type of role, more of a, as a head of product. But um, yeah, you know, so we're learning. You know, when you get hired, how 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 do you assess the company? Yeah, you know, I've been I've been um, an independent consultant for a long time. I helped a lot of companies, and so a lot of times, you know, back to what I was just saying a company will real you know will realize gosh we, you know we've been around for a while and this is a new way of working for us and so they want to, you know a lot of them will call it digital transformation for example uh, many of my clients as i like to say they existed well before the internet ever existed right you know um i won't mention names but you know just brick and mortar businesses that have adapted to you know uh, online coming on you know the world the internet coming on so so many of those companies they'll phrase it as digital transformation other companies, they'll just realize, hey, you know, we're not seeing what we want to see with our product or we want to upload our skills. We can tell we're not where we want to be 
right? So some of the things to your question that I do to assess, you know, and, and the main way that I help these days, in the old days, I would kind of roll up my sleeves and jump in as an interim VP of product. I still do occasional advising, but honestly, these days, the biggest thing I do is training workshops because there's so many people entering the product world and there's just, you know, on the one hand, it's hard to get a PM job, but on the other hand, you can get a PM job and, and it's like, well, where, where, what kind of PM training or experience did you have before you got right. that job? A lot of people are getting internal transfers from engineering or QA or support or customer success or something, right? It's like, all right, you got a field promotion. You're a product manager. Hop in there, you know? And it's like, okay. And it's not like, you know, a CPA or a doctor or a lawyer where this is like established discipline curriculum certification that you do, right? So anyway, that's kind of the backdrop. So some of the things that I ask, I often start out with reporting structure, like work structure. You know, who do you have? What's the highest level product person you have? What's their title? Not that the title really matters. What matters more is kind of who they report into. Do they report directly into the CEO or the GM? If so, that tells me in general, that's a better kind of, the odds are better for success for product orgs there. If they report into the CTO or VP of engineering, you know, that kind of tells me, okay, well, maybe they're more of an engineering centric organization. You know, and the thing is engineering is super important. Without engineering, there's not going to be any product at all. So no, 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 no company ever had a debate about, gosh, do we need engineering or not? Right. But then they eventually wake up and realize we need PM and we need it more. Same thing with design, right? Um, so I ask about that, like, or do they report, sometimes they report to a COO, which has its own kind of thing. So I ask about that. Then I ask about the product team itself, how many people are on it? You know, how's it structured? Is it more junior people? Do you have some directors? Do you have some group senior product managers in there? Right. Sometimes you can view it as a pyramid. Sometimes the pyramid is out of whack where it's just a bunch of junior people and one senior person, or, and in fact, one of my, you asked for war stories and we were talking about uh, one of my clients. They had a history of just hiring smart people out of, you know, out of top colleges, like high horsepower. Hey, let's get raw horsepower. We'll train them. Well, their whole product team was like that. So I came in, you know, and they needed to hire like six PMs and like, hey, look at this resume, college grad. I'm like, look at our team. We have plenty. Let's diversify the portfolio. Let's get some directors in here and make this pyramid, you know, a little more steep. Um, then the next thing I ask about, uh, and it may seem a little kind of, you know, nuts and bolts, but I'll be like, how many PMs do you have? I'm like, how many engineers do they work with? And you can just do a simple ratio, right? And that can be one of the most telling macro metrics is if they tell me they have five PMs and they have 100 developers that they work with, I do the quick math and I'm like, okay, that's a 20 to one ratio. Each PM on average is interacting with 20 developers. There's no way that's humanly possible, right? So, and I know, you know, in the, so anyway, that, and, and there's, is, is there an ideal ratio that you like, you know, to kinda, hit or sure. Yeah. There's a range. I mean, it's going to be a range, right? I mean, yeah. I've seen, you know, like, you know, like five to eight is a pretty decent range. Right. And it can vary a little bit. If there are truly like a lot of backend things that don't have user facing UI and things like that, the ratio can skew a little higher. You know, if you throw in some data science ML people or something, it can skew a little higher. Conversely, if it's very heavily UX, if it's like B to C, you might even see four to one. You know, that's not crazy. It may, mm. For people, for a lot of people listening, they'd be like four to one. That sounds luxurious, you know. Um, <laughs> and but you know, I've seen it. So you know, usually five to eight is a reasonable range. Once you get north of ten, the PM is just strapped. They're just stretched, and they're, mm. they're like you know, they're stretched in too many directions, right? Um, and so then that's the most important ratio is PM to engineering. And a lot of times engineering far outnumbers, you know, the ratio is kind of out of whack. 
And sometimes they recognize it and they're trying to hire PMs, right, um, to close that gap. And then the other one is designers, the designers to PM ratio, right? And usually that in an ideal world is around one-to-one, you know? The thing about design, not to get too much into it, is there are fundamentally two distinct types of designers. There's the interaction designers um, that focus on the usability, the information architecture, the flow, things like the interaction design, and the visual designers. And, you know, some designers are both, but honestly, even as a hybrid designer, they tend to be stronger at one or the other. So, so that isn't necessarily one designer on the team. It may be like half of an interaction designer or half of a visual designer, just depends, or a hybrid designer. So, so those ratios. And usually if that ratio is off, it shows in the product where the product usability is suffering, the product's aesthetics are suffering. So, so those are some of the ratios that I add, you know. And then the other thing I related to that, and it's usually telling is, what well, we can get into this more, is like how many, like, how many teams is each person on? And, and the funny thing is sometimes, you know, in an ideal world, a PM would be on one scrum team or feature team, or maybe two, you know, uh, when I talk to certain clients, I'll talk to the PM. He's like, yeah, I'm working on like eight projects at the same time. And so it's not even really a team. You start to realize they're using the word team, but it's not a team. It's like these ad hoc group of people coming together for these ad hoc projects. And that's something we yeah, can I've talk about a bit more. Yeah. I've seen the org design where you have like headcount, but then you have like a half a person on uh-huh. one or like yeah. even a quarter yeah. a person. And then they, yeah. like, and you got dash a lines of a person, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got dash lines all over the place. And no, one, actually yeah. the sad thing is Kevin, usually no one's doing any accounting. It's like, okay, Kevin, yeah. we're going to put it's you true. half on this team, a third <laughs> yeah. on this team, a third on this team and a quarter on that team go. And mm. like, wait a minute, that adds up to more than a hundred percent. Like people don't even, they don't even add it up. And so, the, you know, what happens is if you don't, do a good job of resource allocation and planning explicitly, it'll happen implicitly, right? If you have to do 20 things and you only have time to do 10, you're going to pick the ones that you think are the top 10. The other balls are just going to drop, right? And then the last thing that I ask in the assessment is kind of where are you at in your agile journey? And usually by the time, most people, by the time they're talking to me, they've already done agile for a little while. They've already kind of got through the agile transformation and it may or may not have been super successful, but at least they know about it and they're doing it. And that, that's what happens is even if it goes really well, what you realize when I speak at Agile conferences, like imagine for a sec, your, your, your dev team is like an Agile machine. Like you, whatever stories you put in there, they story point them perfectly. They never go over. The quality is 100% and then we ship it, right? Imagine first, I know it's kind of a big hand wave, but imagine that. Then what becomes a limiting factor is, well, what are we putting into the factory? What are we putting into the Agile factory? Are we asking them to build stuff that really matters to customers or not? And so that's what happens. People start going on the Agile transformation. They realize, okay, we can do this Agile stuff, but how do we know that what we're asking the Agile teams to build is actually going to create customer value? And that, that's what lies with product managers. So that's why typically the PM transformation lags the Agile transformation by a bit. Sometimes it happens concurrently. Though. Yeah, that's... Definitely something I've noticed with having an agile framework in place and being really focused on, do we have enough story points? Are we moving quickly? Um, but then really needing to take a step back and looking at what are we actually prioritizing and what's our what's our strategy? What are we laddering up to? And I think that kind of speaks as well to having too many juniors versus starting to have the right product leadership in place um, all the way kind of up the pyramid so that you can have more of that direction and make sure that the things you're feeding into your sprint cycles and your agile cycles um, are things that actually matter. So that's super interesting. Um, I think that kind of takes us into like another question, which is 
you know, you join these companies to help with this transformation. You look at training and reporting structure and are the ratios right? And how are you approaching agile? Um, I imagine along the way, like you're encountering specific types of problems or dysfunctions that teams have and would love to hear about some of the common dysfunctions and problems that maybe, uh, you know, leaders, product leaders uh, can be aware of and, you know, need to kind of manage against as you're looking to build a successful product org. Yeah, yeah, we just just kind of go a little further on this project versus product-based thinking. This you know, a lot of times they get called some leader will realize that they've got a project mentality. And a lot of that, a lot of times that's because it's pre the company's been around, they had a project mindset pre-internet and that mo- mindset worked fine, right? Because they weren't developing software products. So, you know, the number one thing, a couple of things is you can just say, well, how many how many people are on how many different things? Like this PM, how many things are they on, right? Um, and, and you can see that and you'll start to see that people are just on multiple, too many things, right? So there's this idea of like how dedicated are people? Is it truly a team or is it just like, you know, ad hoc assignments that change? Once this project is done, you go back and you lose that assignment, you get a new assignment, right? That kind of assigning people to projects like that is a project mindset. So product mindset is a much longer term point of view. And we can talk about team durability. Durability means like, how long are these same group of people, this PM, this developer, this designer, how long are they, you know, working together? Because in a product mindset, you know, yeah, the specific features are going to change, but the overall macro goals aren't going to change every week or two, right? It's like, hey, we're trying to create value for users. We're trying to improve retention. We're trying to increase usage. We're trying to improve conversion, right? Those, those are evergreen goals that you're always going to be doing. So to, to just kind of rearrange the deck chairs every week or two, you know, it's kind of like, I won't go into it, but it's like shiny object syndrome. Oh my gosh, drop everything. We got to do this now. Oh my gosh, we got to do this, right? So it's, and, and then you don't have enough people. And related to that, it, closely related to that is the, is you probably heard the phrase, I'm sure, outputs versus outcomes. And this can be an agile trap that people fall into. They embrace agile. They get so focused on the story points. Like, yay, we shipped 40 story points last week. Yay, we shipped 30 last week. We shipped this feature. We did this right. And, you know, ship, you know, shipping story points or shipping features, that may or may not create customer value. So you're not measuring the right thing. And, you know, in general, a lot of times with management, you kind of get what you measure matters. And so if you measure story points and that's the only thing you ever talk about, then people are going to fixate on that, right? And I, I like to jokingly, you know, when I do some of the agile training, I'm like, hey, you want to have a faster velocity? Just double your story point estimates. That's great. You know, it's like it's like it's like funny money. It's like cryptocurrency or something. Hey, we, we shipped a thousand points last week. Like it doesn't really matter, right? It's like a silly game. And it, you know, that's one of the things I do when I have the workshop and I do velocity. I'll ask different teams of what their velocity are, and they'll some team will say twenty, and the other team will be like, we do twenty five. Ha, gotcha. You know, it's like, dude, <laughs> you, you might have different staffing levels, right? So anyway, so you, you know, you really want to shift the mindset to what really matters here, some customer metric that matters or some business metric that matters. So, you know, so what is that initial project team like that you come into, you see, you like, you know, that they're project focused and then what is a good way to shift that mindset to. Yeah. Well, it's not really a team. It's like, it ends up being like, I've seen these crazy Venn diagrams and crazy spreadsheets that show like they have like projects on the left and people on the, as columns. And you can see Kevin on six projects and you can see Zach on seven projects. So there's no team. You just look at that. If you, you know, part one is you could audit that and just say, okay, let's list all the projects on the left. Let's list all the people on the top and let's just see. And you'll see that, oh my gosh, like 
you know, this one person has nine projects, right? You know, there's no way, right? Mm, so, so, point, so one yeah. is you diagnose it, right? And then, then the number one thing you do is related to the next dysfunction I see is prioritize. You got to prioritize, you know, uh, in corporate America, no one, uh, everyone hates to say no, right? You're sitting in some meeting and some shareholder goes, I think we should build feature X. Does anybody stamp their hand down and go, no, that's dumb. No, I don't think we should, right? You know, any, any one feature idea, I like to say in my workshop, any one feature idea, it's like a cute little puppy. Look at this cute puppy. Look at this feature. <laughs> Who wouldn't want this feature? Come on. You know, any feature in isolation, sure. Why not? Let's do it, right? Why not? You know, very rarely are there, of course, there are dumb or bad ideas, but most ideas people suggest have some, some merit. So it's, it's not really about in isolation, is this a good idea? You need to prioritize and relative prioritize because you have limited resources. And so that's one of the biggest things I see is they over people overcommit. They bite off too many things, and that's what leads to the project spreading. Right? There's also that famous uh, memo from Yahoo, the peanut butter memo. Right? It's like when you when you try to do too many things, you end up being like peanut butter, like this thin layer across everything. You don't end up doing anything well. Right? And so if your organization is missing dates, if your organization is slipping these things, you're probably you know the number one thing I tell people to do is just cut. So when you see that grid and you see, oh my gosh, the average person is on five projects. Well, then you as a leadership team need to say, okay, we need to cut some of these def defer. We can use the word defer if we don't want to say cut, right? My favorite definition of strategy is saying no, right? And so, and if no is a little harsh, you can just say not now, not for this sprint, not for this quarter, right? Just not for this. So, so that's the challenge. And, it, you know, and, and, um, and it takes somebody to get their arms around all the product work going on to create some kind of simple doc that says, okay, here's all the things we want to do. Here's how many people weeks it's going to take. Here's how many people weeks we have. What are we going to do? Right. So, you know, it's pretty easy to do in a sprint because you, it's so small, you can get your arms around it with story points and you can say, okay, we know we do 30 story points on average. We got to draw the cut line at around 30 story points. We need to do a larger version of that, you know, at the feature level for the quarterly planning kind of thing, basically, right? The other dysfunction I'll say real quick is, you know, of course, when I go in and I ask people, hey, is your org customer centric? Everybody says, yes, yeah, so we love customers. Oh, yes, we're customer centric. And then it's kind of like, do you, are you talking the talk? Are you walking the walk? Then I'll go, well, when's the last time you actually talked to a customer, right? I'll go to each person. And then it's like months, right? It's like, yeah, but you know, well, yeah, you know, we, we definitely value customer input, but you know, like, you know, but yeah, I'm just too busy, to, you know. So that's part of it too, is like, are you really getting customer centric? And if, the, you know, level one is we shipped it and then we asked people what we thought about it. <laughs> and then, you know, the more advanced level is, well, did you talk about people before you even ideated it? Did you confirm the problem with your customers? That's like the, the most advanced level is, are you doing customer discovery? And then the next level is, okay, we heard them, we designed something they thought they would like, we showed them a mock-up and got their feedback, right? So those are, those are kind of more tangible, direct ways to be customer-centric versus just getting feedback after the fact, which again, some people, companies don't even do that. So anyway, those are some of the things that I see. What fidelity is their focus? And is that customer-centered focus? So, you know, versus a project team that is disparate and, you know, 1PM is working on five different projects. Now you have this, you know, unit, this team, and they are focused on this quarter on, is it, is it a theme? Is it, is it a customer problem? Like, how do yeah. you best set them up for success? 
Yeah, and look, I'm pragmatic. If we can just get from project-based mindset where each person's on five things to just saying, no, we're going to have Kevin and this designer and these three devs just be in the same foxhole together for the quarter, I'll just take that. I'll take, that's level one, is getting out of the project mindset to dedicated, durable teams, right? I'll take that. And then the next thing, what you're getting at is a little more advanced, which is, okay, now that we've got this dedicated, durable team, what do we ask them to do? And that's where, again, it's a different factor. We could say, go build these features, go launch these story points, right? Which is another thing I'll talk about, solution space versus problem space. Or we could give them a customer problem to solve. We could say, okay, we want you, you know, we know that um, this certain task in our app we're getting negative feedback from customers. It's too hard. It's not meeting their needs. Go out, figure out what's wrong with it and how we need, how we should redesign it to make it better, right? Solve this customer problem. That's a better goal than just go do this checklist, go build this checklist of features, which are solutions. And, and then the next level up is, yeah, to your point, that can turn out to be a theme. It can be like, well, you know, like, let's say, um, we're the TurboTax team. It's like, okay, our job is to make the filing as easy as possible. Well, we're always going to keep, we're, gonna, for, for, we're probably going to work on that for a year or two or more. So like, let's make that a theme and say, okay, what can we constantly be doing to, uh, to make the tax filing easier? And, you know, and, and so that's that. You could also set people against the business goal. You could say, okay, you're the conversion optimization team. Your job is to improve the conversion rate, right? Keep going and going and going until you improve the conversion rate. Your team is engagement. Your job is to figure out how to get people to engage and use our product more frequently, right? So, you know, you, at the end of the day, the best themes are customer problems that are highly relevant to your kind of product strategy or major business metrics, right? Okay. Not and then- solutions, not security, <clears throat> not... Yeah. You know, infrastructure, well, I was gonna, not <laughs> scaling. Right? Yeah, that's a great. That's great. But I, I do. I think therein lies a question of if you have all of these product engineering teams focused on these customer problems, can that coexist with like an infrastructure team, or can that coexist with a yeah, team that's like catching course. bugs, or like you know sure. your your core sure. team? Like, do, do sure. you see that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you definitely can. I think you have to be careful because it's easy for the infrastructure team to kind of what we're trying to do is kind of have line of sight and connect the bowels of the organization with customers, right? It's like a line of sight from the engineer to the designer, to the PM, to actual customers. We want that. You know, we want, you know, like people say like sunshine's the best disinfectant. We want transparency. We want sunlight. We want people to see, you know, um, and we want the engineers and designers to be empowered with, for ideally with firsthand customer knowledge, not someone coming in and saying, yeah, here's what we got to build, you know? So, so that's part of the idea. So, so the thing is just, um, perfectly fine, obviously to have infrastructure teams, sometimes platform teams is another thing we can talk about platform stuff, um, or internal tool teams or things like that. So yeah, you, they can coexist, you know, um, on the issue of bugs team on bugs, you know, there's different ways to do it. I personally think it's best if a team has to fix bugs in their area, right? Then they have the ownership right. of their area versus some other general purpose bug fixing team. But it does make sense. You know, a lot of times there'll be some kind of infrastructure, you know, live site ops team that like when there's live bugs, they hop on it, you know, and some of those teams operate in Kanban instead of, uh, instead of Scrum because it's just, hey, we want to fix this thing as quick as possible, you know. So, um, yeah, it makes sense yeah. to have those kind of things and you can have dedicated to like, say you're doing, you know, uh, a, 
a refactor of a platform or something, right? That could be a dedicated team. Um, mm. Yeah. So you can have Wait, dedicated there, teams for that. I love that. And then is there, is there times where you see gaps? So when you make this migration or transition to um, your dedicated durable team, that's either focused on customer problems or business goals. If you move to that or transition to that, is there times where you find that there's a project that doesn't quite fit or yeah. a feature or a bug that doesn't quite fit? And then sure. what happens then? Yeah, you should ask yourself why you're doing it, <laughs> right? <laughs> why are we doing That's the problem is these projects can get a life of their own. And it's like, I'm on the... Uh, I'm on the, uh, you know, the modem team. What, what, what was modem support? You know, what's going on? Uh, you know, we don't do those anymore. Right? And that's actually an interesting, another war story is one of my clients at one point in time, they had divvied up into feature teams. So they were durable, they were dedicated, but they had just assigned a certain number of engineers to each one. And that was like locked in place. They never revisited on a quarterly basis. You know, why does this team have 10 engineers? This one have three. You know, does that still make sense or not? So that kind of speaks to what you're saying is like, you know, so level one is identifying the projects. And then the next level is, you know, again, I kind of think in spreadsheets sometimes and, and actually at this company, the way we made progress, and this is what can be helpful in a quarterly product planning meeting is each feature team came in with their prioritized roadmap for the quarter, right? And they had the priorities and with estimates of, you know, kind of people weeks that it was going to take. And obviously, each team had more work than they could do. And when you looked across all the teams, the most powerful moment was when we took the seven teams and we put, we kind of, you know, stack ranked their back. Each one was a column. We stack ranked their roadmap. Team one focused on acquisition. Here's all their items. Team two on conversion. Here's all their items. Team three on this, right? All seven. And then you had like a cumulative total of, as you went top down of people weeks, and we knew what the limit was. We know there's 13 weeks in a quarter. We know how many freaking engineers we have. It's pretty easy multiplication to be like, we have this many people weeks. And so now the tough part begins. Of course, the number one item on each team's roadmap, we're going to do because, you know, the, but then as you go down, it's like, okay, the fourth item on team one, is that more or less important than the fourth item on team two? You know, so you end up having to merge these columns. See, what you do, you start out with the, each team has a nice rationalized column. Then you have to decide across them. And that's what you do. And that's how you end up with the pie now adding up to over 100% is by doing that cross-team exercise. And then we reallocated engineers accordingly. We said, oh my gosh, this it, we all agreed it makes sense to go this far down on this team, but they only have two engineers. They can't go that far down. We got to take two engineers from this team and put them over here. That's what makes sense, right? So that kind of like kind of quarterly or six-month team rebalancing exercise to align your resource allocation with your product planning. And the other thing that's really important is that is to not fall into the trap of filling up the pie to 100% with new generative feature work because there is tech debt, there's maintenance, all this jazz, right? And what happens, it's like Groundhog Day, people forget and they go, oh, well, they load up their plate to 100%. And then two weeks later, you know, some live site issue happens or we've got to upgrade this Python library or this JavaScript no longer supported or Oh my gosh, we just launched a new brow, new new version of Chrome. It broke everything. You know, so so you gotta like you gotta figure that out. Now it's gonna be noisy from sprint to sprint. Maybe one sprint you don't have anything. Maybe an expert you have a little, an expert you have a lot. So you need to kind of like keep enough accounting to be like, well, you know what? Like 15% of the of our of our resources on average get spent on that, right? 
And you can do it at a micro level with story points if you want. But then you just say, okay, we're only going to load the plate up to 85%. So if you do those two things, if you, if you, you know, prioritize across the teams and, um, and, you know, rank order across the different initiatives and only go to 85%, then your odds of actually delivering what you plan go up a lot. You, I really like that. You, you talk about um, this project thinking versus more product-driven thinking and outputs versus actual outcomes. Um, kind of a follow-up question to that is, how do you work with leadership teams um, to get them comfortable with this? Because one of the things I've noticed is you start to make that shift. Is there's this natural mindset of, I'm used to, here's our roadmap for the next year. And I have these nice little milestones, even though the whole working team knows mm -hmm. many of these will not hit exactly as we expect. Yes. But we have these nice milestones. It makes me feel really good and secure inside. that This is the way it's going to look. When sure. we shift to this you know, outcome-driven focus or these problem-specific areas, it's more nebulous. Yeah. Like we want to solve the pain point of filing, like you mentioned, or we're trying to improve conversion by a certain amount of percent. And we don't know how we're going to get there. How do you help communicate and get leadership teams comfortable with this different model of working? Yeah. You know, people, people are comfortable with those deadlines. It's amazing, especially in the B2B world. It's amazing how many features ship on March 31st, June 30th, <laughs> and October 31st. These magical dates on the calendar when all the stuff ships. It's crazy. It's like the feature fairy mm -hmm. comes that day and sprinkles some pixie dust or something. Right? So, so, you know, that's the thing is like people are used to the old, like, you know, old way of a feature centric roadmap with dates. And here's all the things we're going to hit by October 31st. We're going to launch all these things. And they've not done the, the product accounting to know how many people weeks they can actually get done and how much they're going to take. So they've already started out more than hundred uh, percent. They're not accounted for tech debt or anything. Right. And so they just overcommitted. And, and honestly, even if the funny thing is, if you, at the beginning of the quarter, we start with that list, that would be one thing. But unfortunately, it's not a static situation. Week two, three of the quarter, what happens? The head of sales comes in, the head of marketing comes in, somebody comes in, oh my gosh, what's our Bitcoin strategy? We need a Bitcoin strategy. What's our crypto? Well, we got to, what's our blockchain? You know, some new thing, shiny object gets thrown in. And when that happens, does anybody pull out the list and go, okay, great. What do you want to knock? What do you want to bump? for that new shiny object. Nobody does that because nobody ever says no, right? So it's a really bad problem. So, and I understand, look, I mean, especially for public companies, you know, it's easy, you know, a lot of times people go, sometimes take the agile thing too far and the future team's like, hey, we can't plan, we're agile. We don't plan, planning's anti-agile. It's like, uh, no, that's not what it means, you know, so sometimes you get that kind of thing. Uh, so there is this kind of leap of faith thing though that you're getting at, Zach, which is really important, which is, okay, the old model is we create these fictitious roadmaps with features on them, solutions, not problems or metrics. And we put arbitrary dates on there and we kind of hope that we're going to hit those. Right. And, you know, obviously like the first couple things in the roadmap probably will get done within the quarter because they're sequentially what we're going to work on first. When those things explode in people's faces, then the things at the bottom of the list just are going to silently get pushed to the next quarter. Right. So that's just what's going to happen. So it, and it's tough because sometimes I see companies going through agile transformation and the executive is still holding on to this idea of roadmaps and dates. And so you've got this huge disconnect between, okay, you need to, I'm still telling you, you need to, you need to build these 10 features by October 31st, but you go be agile, you know? And then the agile team's like, okay, well, you know, so there's, there's no, it's like, it's like building a tunnel 
and you have no reason to believe that just the two sides are going to connect, right? You're building from two sides of the mountain. There's, how do you know they're going to connect? How do these rationalize or not, right? So, so you got to at least try to square the circle somehow and do some kind of high-level estimation or else it's just fantasy land. The high-level product planning is just fantasy land. Now, the flip side is, and I think this is I, I, to be empathetic with the leaders for a second, is, okay, if I set my team against this goal of improving retention, how confident am I that they're going to actually be able to do that, right? And so it's like it's like kind of like the amount of the amount of leash they're willing to let out, or responsibility or autonomy they're willing to give, is kind of proportionate to the confidence they have in the team's ability to execute. And so that can be a tricky dance because, especially if they start out going, "Gosh, you know, I don't know, this is new to everybody," so it can be a little awkward and uncomfortable, right? And so. So it is a transition, right? And 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 uh, what I've seen too is in larger orgs where there's multiple teams, say ten teams, fifteen teams, you're gonna usually what you see is a bell curve of performance. Like not every team's gonna crush it, right? With the new way of working. And so what you want to do is kind of like when you see the top two or three teams, you know, doing their thing and having success, you want to kind of put them up on a pedestal and show it to everybody else and say, "See, look what these guys are doing with the new." the new way of working and have cross training, you know, some of the sessions I've done in my workshops uh, as teams have done this, they like share best practices and tips and tricks with each other. Right. So some kind of, I guess an important thing, a specific tactic is, is as you're trying to embrace a new way of working either on the agile side or on the product side or both have some kind of cross team info sharing coordination mechanism so that people can kind of talk about, you know, in agile, we have the retro, right. The retrospective, which is critical for teams to get better. A lot of times teams will do this huge macro agile transformation or digital transformation, and they'll have no equivalent of a retro. It's like a one-shot thing. Okay, we did the training, go. And it just doesn't work that way. We've got to iterate our way. We've got to figure it out, tailor it for our team and org. So anyway, but back to your point, it is a tough thing of management letting go, giving some autonomy, and then can the team step up and actually you know deliver on, on that? So, so you, do, you are touching on the success of this transformation, but what other metrics, like what goals do you set for these teams? How do you know that this transformation is a success? And, and is that it, like you said, it doesn't sound like it's a, it's an immediate thing, right? This is an investment. Oh, you're it's making definitely in the not. Of this transformation. So it's definitely timing yeah. goals. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basic change management, any change yeah. management. And you know, the bigger the org, the longer it's going to take. It's kind of like, steering a battleship or something is, you know, it's like, you know, you need reinforcement from leadership, you know, you need, and you need bottoms up support, you know, you need training, uh, you know, all that it's all got to be consistent because what can happen is if anybody gets a whiff, especially the longer the culture has been around, anybody gets a whiff, they're like, okay, this is just like the, the flavor du jour. This is the new management trend of the quarter. We're all doing this. Let's just, it's all this two shall pass kind of a mindset, you know? Um, and, you know, usually most of my clients, they're very, very committed to it. And so again, you have a bell curve, like I, I'll teach these workshops and you can see the people that are really eager and want to learn and like, want to try the new way and are excited. You can see like the people in the middle, just trying to figure it out. Okay. You know, and then you see the laggards, like, you know, uh, you know, you can have my waterfall when you pry it from my cold dead hand, you know, from my cold dead hands or something like that, you know? So, uh, <laughs> You know, you see the full gamut. And so it's just, you know, at the end of the day, you got, as a leader, you've got to assess, you know, does my team have 
the right talent, the right mindset. Sometimes you augment it with hiring, with smart hires, right? Instead of trying to have everybody be there, uh, transform, you say, let's just try to up-level people, but let's also bring in some other key leaders. And that can make a huge difference. So back to the metrics, I mean, honestly, uh, I mean, I, you know, the teams can feel it. It's, 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 it's not a metric, but you can usually feel it when things are going better. You know, I love it when, you know, three or six months after workshop, people are like, yeah, we, 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 we've been doing X, Y, and Z and it's going really well. You know, um, one of my clients, I, I went back, to, it was such a big org. I went back to train cause they had a bunch of new hires and like one of the teams like, yeah, we've been using that template you gave us, you know? So and, and the things are, you know, then when I start asking, okay, great. Well, when's the last time you talked to your customer? Like, oh, actually we talked last week instead of the answer being like, you know, so literally some of the stuff on the customer centric front is you start to see them talking to customers more frequently, right? Um, they're doing discovery research. You know, the first thing you do, the easiest thing to do is usability research. Okay. If you, know, if you have mock-ups, go show them to somebody. And then eventually they get to discovery research where hey, at the very outset, before we do anything, let's go talk to some customers and validate this. Um, you, on the product planning front, there are, you know, people feel better about the planning. They feel like it's more realistic. People start hitting their dates more. Um, the scope doesn't explode in people's faces as much, right? You know, um, and then finally, at the end of the day, hopefully we're seeing improvements in the key metrics of their business, right? We're seeing uh, you know, adoption go up, we're seeing retention go up and hopefully that's translating, you know, that should be translating in top line revenue and profit basically. So, uh, and then the other thing is not unimportant at all is morale. I mean, team morale, you know, um, and, and sometimes it's interesting, you know, some of the people that I talk to, it's not like people there didn't know they should be more customer centric or not. Right. So you have a distribution of people, right. And you have some people that are like, yeah, I mean, I've been trying to tell people we got to talk to users, right. <laughs> but they're not, they don't want to do it, you know, or I've told them we got to prioritize, we got to do a better job planning or whatever. So by going in there and doing a workshop and everybody, there's a lot of power in everybody hearing the same thing at the same time. Because, you know, the funny thing about agile, especially say like, it's like, Hey, Zach, you've done agile, right? Okay. Hey, Kevin, you've done agile, right? Great. Everyone's done agile. Great. Let's just, just go do agile. I guarantee the way you did Agile at your past company was not the same as how Zach did or Kevin did or anybody, right? So it's one of these fallacies where you're like, oh yeah, let's just do Agile, yeah, right? And and, and uh, so by actually, and then I, but it's funny when you say, okay, did everybody get together and talk about how we do this or not together as a team? Is the answer is usually no. And conversely, so after my workshop, which are most effective when they're cross-functional, sometimes I'll train only product managers, but then the best ones are when it's product managers plus the designers, plus the engineers. And then when we do the exercise, we make them like sit with their scrum team. So if they have any kind of, and, and if we need to go over roles and responsibilities, that's what we start with. So if they have any beefs or anything, any confusion points about roles and responsibilities, we kind of like get that out of the way. And then we start talking about how do you truly be customer centric and this and that. And what we've done at the end of that workshop is we've empowered everybody if somebody starts going off the rails in a meeting, they can be like, Hey, wait, didn't remember in the workshop, Dan said to do this. Like they have a frame of reference to call people out on if they're deviating, you know, if they're like, whether it's intentional or not, it could be accidental, but it's like, Hey, you know, shouldn't we talk to some customers before we go build that? You know? Um, so, so it, that's kind of some of the metrics that I've seen in the the kind of positive changes that I, that I see in the orgs. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that, 
that alignment is critical if you're going to see some of those those things. And you know, you'll kind of have a period of time where you start to see maybe some of the near-term things, like we started talking to customers. Maybe that happens in weeks or months, uh, starting the trans- right. transformation. Um, higher quality product planning starts trickling in a little after that, and then mm-hmm. key metrics of the business might take a little longer. But right, um, those all three of those things are, are critically important. Um, right. Kind of shifting gear, but along the, the same lines, um, let's talk about new product leaders or aspiring product leaders. Um, what advice would you give them for helping them be more effective uh, at helping to improve and transform uh, the product orgs that, that they're helping support? So we've talked a lot about this, and you have a lot of experience as an interim head of product and you know, as a product leader in companies and also stepping in kind of in a more of a consulting role. But for someone who's, you know, just stepping into a head of product role or is looking to kind of grow into that, um, what advice would you give them to be as effective as possible? Yeah, well, you know, back to the first point, you're seeing more first time head of products than ever before because product management is exploding, right? And so your reward for being a good product manager and moving your way up the ranks to senior PM and group PM is at some point, if you want, you can obviously go down an individual contributor path as long as you want you'll get tapped to be a people manager, right? And, and that's, a, that's exciting, but it's also a very different job, you know? And so that transition from individual contributor to people manager can be, can be shocking for some people because I feel like a lot of product managers, um, obviously, you know, we don't code anything. <laughs> we don't design. We rely on developers to code and designers to design. Um, but a lot of PMs, strong PMs learn to be very, very self-reliant. It's like, you know, I, I'm going to get some stuff done. I'm going to like, I just got to go get this done. And, and it may bleed into design. If like, you don't have a designer and you need wireframes, well, who's going to create the wireframes? You know, the PM might step in and do that. Uh, we don't have QA. Who's going to do the UAT? PM's going to step in and do it, right? That gets back to the ratios. The more of those collateral duties that fall on good PMs or PMs grab because the ball will drop otherwise affects that ratio, right? Um, but anyway, so you get trained to be this like solo warrior <laughs> getting stuff done, obviously working with and relying on other cross-functional partners, but within a certain part of your realm. And then all of a sudden, you're not the one doing it. You're Someone reporting to you has to do it. So for some people, it can be a tough transition. A lot of times you'll start out, you won't go from 100% individual contributor to 0% and then 100%. You'll be what we call player coach. You know, the way that may be work out is you may still maintain kind of be the product manager for like one of the more complex or larger areas of the product and delegate and then have PMs devoted and running less complex, smaller parts of the product. And then over time, you'll eventually divest that as you move up the, up the ranks. Um, so that can be tough. And so, you know, so one of the things, I mean, any, any advice I would give and any is just to listen, you know, especially if you're new to the org, this is if you're new to the org, if you're moving up from within the org, you know, you should still listen, but you've been around the block there, you know, how things work. But if you're new to org, you just want to listen a lot, you know, um, PMs, a lot of PMs, you know, you have to have a strong point of view a lot of times, right? You're not just some passive note taker, order taker, right? You know, like sometimes I see orgs where engineering and sales are so strong that PM is basically an order taker from sales to engineering, like sales asking for rights. Like you, you feel like you're like in a, in a kitchen, a diner, you're between the chef and the, you're just shuffling stuff around. That's not much value add. I mean, obviously the mechanics of running the process and stuff are important, 
So you want to be actually, you know, having a point of view about what we should do, you know? And so sometimes um, people come in strong with a point of view, they've been successful. And so you just want to listen when you're in a new org, you want to listen, understand how things work, um, build key role, be key relationships. You know, the very beginning, we all know our calendars are like this crazy Tetris game with like way or triple book, double booked, right? You have to make calls. Speaking of prioritization, you got to prioritize, should I go to this meeting or that meeting? Which one can I afford to miss more? Uh, in the early days, your calendar starts out empty. And so that you got to like take advantage of that to just go meet and have one-on-ones with your key partners in engineering and design and marketing and QA and sales, whatever it is to build those relationships. So that like three months later, when the stuff hits the fan and I've got to pick up the phone and call marketing, I can go, Hey, Kevin, Hey, it's Dan. Remember we had coffee back in the day versus Dan, who was it? I don't, you know, like, (laughs) so there's a chance to build some of those relationships early on and just listen and, and try to synthesize stuff. Um, So back to the people manager thing, you know, just like good PMs don't dictate solutions. We kind of dictate the goal. We try to specify the goal. Like, Hey, here should be the objective. Here's the requirements. Same thing with your people, right? You basically want to set goals for them. You don't want to say, go build this feature. You want to say, okay, your responsibility is to improve retention rate. Our current retention rate is 70%. We think a reasonable goal is to get it to 75%. Um, percent. So I want you to come back to me with recommendations on what you think the top things we could do, right? So that's like, you know, give them why goals and let them come back with you with how they plan to do it. Right. Just like good PMs would do. The other thing is back to ratios and being busy. We're all so busy in so many meetings. One of the things that can easily go out the window are one-on-ones, right? One-on-ones with your people. It's like, ah, we're so busy. You know, sometimes PM, you'll be on a PM team. It could be a lot of people on the team, but it feels very like a very lonely job because you're not really interacting with the other PMs a whole lot. You're mainly just trying to keep the plate spinning with your engineers and your developers, uh, sorry, and your designers. Right. And, and so, uh, one-on-ones are really important. Um, if you know, yeah, if you need to skip one once in a while, I guess, you know, it's fine. But, um, where I started my career at Intuit, one-on-ones were really important. They were never skipped. And we didn't just talk about the work. We talked about kind of longer term growth and develop initiatives for the, for the employees as well. So you want to have some component of that in there. And then back to what I was just saying is, you know, especially if you, as you seem to have a larger product org, you want to have some kind of cross-training among the PMs and comparing notes. So it's not as only a job, right? You should do like a brown bag lunch or something once a month, whether it's just with the team or you bring in an external speaker or something where you can say, Hey, let's, you know, let's at a high level, let's talk about, let's share notes on what's going on with different people's teams and what's working and what's not. And then finally, you know, as a head of product, product leader, you're, you know, you want to make sure you're building very, very strong relationships with your counterparts in engineering and marketing. So I mentioned kind of getting coffee or, you know, meeting with them early on, but, you know, make sure I would have one-on-ones with them. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes back to what I asked, sometimes I realize that there are some key meetings missing, some key collaborators, not the meeting, it's the collaboration. It's like, gosh, we constantly get surprised by marketing by all these asks. I'm like, well, do you have a standing meeting with marketing? Like, no, you know, it's okay. Well, <laughs> no wonder the work just piles up and then they send it over to you every once in a while. Like, why don't you have some, you know? So it's amazing that people sometimes, they they may not see the need for a meeting or if they do, they just don't proactively set it up for some meeting reason. Now, look, we all have too many meetings. So the second you can kill a meeting and say, we don't need this anymore, that's amazing. 
But sometimes when you have some new project or new thing going on, you need to say like, let's set up some, some new meetings. So anyway, that's some advice for new product leaders. Love it. Well, um, Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining us on uh, product coffee today is it was great to kind of, um, just, just get your, get your brain dump here. Um, I, I know our listeners will appreciate it. So, um, where can our, uh, listeners find your stuff? Where can they, um, see some of your work? Yeah. I mean, the, the most central place is my website, Dan Olson, uh, com. It's Dan hyphen com, And there I have like all the videos of all my talks and, you know, uh, links to a lot of other resources, slides from my slide decks, things like that. My speaking schedule, um, the see where else my book the lean product playbooks on amazon it's in a hardcover kindle audio uh, audible book it's also like in chinese polish turkish um there's an indian editions different editions um and then you know uh, on on youtube so i have a youtube channel it's just youtube.com slash dan olson we have over eight thousand subscribers my talks are there but i also put the talks from my meetup and that's that's probably the last thing i mentioned is for coming up on eight years now, I've been building this product community where we just hit 11,000 members and each month they bring in a top product or UX speaker. And so um, our next event, it'll probably be after this get it'll be before this gets published. We're having Marty Kagan come in and speak in January. Actually for February, I've got Jeffrey Moore from Crossing the Chasm speaking. So anyway, that, that, that's called Lean Product Meetup. Um, so again, there are links from my website, danolson.com. There are links to that meetup. It's free to join. It can be another resource for people to, uh, to do things. And then I do, I teach private workshops. Um, and I also teach public workshops. So I have a public workshop coming up. My next first one of the year is February 15th through the 17th. Um, again, people can find out about that on my website. So awesome. Um, is there any homework you would give to our listeners, um, to kind of try out in the next week or so? I would just say, I mean, I guess there's a lot of things we could do, but what's in your control, what's in your most control is this whole customer-centric thing. Be honest with yourself about how customer-centric you are and are you walking the walk or just talking the talk? When was the last time you actually got firsthand, had a firsthand interaction with the customer, right? And if it's been longer than you would like, then just figure out how to make it happen, right? You know, it can be listening to a support call. It could be figuring out, you know, scheduling some interviews, something like that. So that's what I would say. You know, we're all so busy. It's easy. Even people with the best of intentions that are truly are customer centric in their heart just aren't making the time to actually do it. Right. And, um, and uh, anyway, that's a simple thing that hopefully people can do. Awesome. I think that's a good one. It's kind of, it's kind of one of those simple, but not easy things like going to the gym or eating healthy. Like, yeah. You know what you need yeah. to do. <laughs> Let's take a step and actually do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and not to get too much, obviously, sometimes access to customers is hard. You've got people blocking yours. Like, okay, where do I get a cup? How do I reach a customer or something? So that's, you know, there might be a one-time thing you need to do to figure out how can I consistently get access to customers, you know, in a way that they're cool with, you know, it's contacting them. It can be opt-in or whatever. So there might be a one-time task, but don't let that that little speed bump keep you from doing it. Once you get over that speed bump and you have a way to reliably get users, um, then then just make sure you're talking to them periodically. Right? Maybe a slight addendum is if you're a product leader, your homework could be analyze the channel or mechanism through which your product managers have to access customers. Exactly. Or if it could be improved, maybe maybe make that your homework for the week. 
Yeah, exactly. I love that. Sounds good. Um, I'll add one more thing to that. I, you know, check out Dan's book. Um, there's so many great, uh, resources in that very applicable. So I, I, that's what I really appreciated. It's not, it's not so preachy. It's very kind of like, this is something you can actually do in your job. And so I think I really appreciated that. So, um, and you know, I, I listen to the audiobook, but there's also accompanying PDFs, which is great too. So, yeah. and you have resources on your, on your website as well, but yeah. Well, Kevin, that makes me happy because yeah. I, I, I'm a very pragmatic guy. I, I can get theoretical <laughs> conceptual, but I like, I'm very pragmatic. Like in my workshops and in my training, in my book, I want you like the, the second you get out of there to be able to be like, all right, I got some tools that I can start applying. And so I love it when I run into someone and they have a copy of the book and it's got all these like post-it notes to different parts of things. And they tell me that they leave it on their desk because, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you about how to do user testing, but maybe you're not doing user testing for a few weeks. And then when it comes time to user testing and you go, what was it that Dan said about user testing? And you can go refer to it then. So yeah, no, thanks yeah. for sharing that feedback. That makes me happy. Of course. And uh, you know, one other thing on the audiobook itself, it has the chapters that are very clearly uh, called mm -hmm. out. So if you do have a topic that just top of mind, you know, you can easily kind of just go hit it up, you know, after you, yeah. so that, and I'm a big fan of audiobooks. Yeah. Before I, had, before I had kids, I had this huge bookshelf. And then when I had kids, like the only way I can really read books now is audible. I will say, so the audible is fine. I do have a lot of figures and tables in my book. So if you get the audible, you may just want to get the Kindle. The Kindle actually has the best version of the, of the, because you, they're color. In the print book, they're black okay. and white. It's fine. Um, but in the Kindle, you can see color versions of all the figures and tables. Um, also, many of the key figures and tables, they're in, my, they're in my PowerPoint slides that you can get from my website as well. So anyway, yeah. Great. Well, I, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you can go rate, review, subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, on anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Um, we're going to have our speaker series this year. So each month we'll have a, a speaker in the industry um, kind of talking about a specific topic. So if you guys have suggestions, we'll have a poll out there. So, so feel free to go and add that in uh, and let us know who you want to hear from. But uh, Dan, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, it looks like we finished up our coffee. So uh, go level up. <laughs>